The Law Report with Tyron Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report programme. Well, this evening being the last Monday of the month, we're focusing once again on property law. And joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening is attorney Ishmael Mohammed, And he's an associate with Marlon Chevalu and Associates here in Cape Town. Ishmael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Nice to have you back again. Thank you, Karen. Lovely to be here. And if you have any questions or comments about property law, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 2010. Uh, first, we actually have two emails we can do in the meantime while we're waiting for you guys to call in. The first one here is from Kelvin, and he <laughs> says, What does one do when tenants just moved out, taking the keys to the house with them? They've left me with loads of debt, owing thousands for rent and basic services. Can I lay a separate charge against them? The attorney I went to see to assist me hasn't contacted me in two weeks as promised, and phoning his office proved fruitless. I'm on the road to nowhere. Please help me. Hi, Calvin. Okay, I'm going to sort of glance over the idea of the attorney that's not calling you back. That's not really for the discussion tonight. Other than to say, if your attorney's not coming back to you, find another attorney, right? You're Um, not obliged to stick with the one that you you, started with. You're never obliged to stick to the same attorney. Now, looking at the question itself, you say you have a tenant, the tenant's moved out, taken the keys, left the house, and owes you quite a bit of money. The first question is, was he... A lease agreement in place was it a month-to-month lease was it a fixed-term lease what happened you know so has a tenant absconded has it been a cancellation of the lease so these are all factors that are going to determine you know what route you need to follow now if we take it that the lease was cancelled right then there is no further rental that can accrue on the debt that's currently outstanding however if the tenant has absconded and you know left you without any notice then you can say that the lease may still be in effect if this was a fixed term lease for let's say 12 months and the tenant left after six without giving you notice you can still hold that tenant liable for the balance of the lease agreement now you say there's already thousands outstanding whether it be rent, basic basic services services, that's probably water and electricity and stuff yeah electricity and so on now what you have to do is you have a legal claim against this tenant that would be the normal court process you'd first thing you'd have to do is you have to find your tenant so if you don't know where he's gone to an attorney can appoint a tracing agent now most tracing agents work on the basis of no trace no fee so you provide them with what information you have ID number, phone number, previous address, work address, and so on. They and you will should have all that information if you you've should. had a lease agreement with the tenant. Exactly. So they will then trace the tenant. They'll find the tenant for you. The attorney will then do a letter of demand. Um, because the tenant's already out, you're not looking to cancel the lease. What you're looking for is simply to demand the money back. And because you're only demanding the money back, you can do a seven-day letter of demand. So in other words, you'd say you owe me, let's take an example, 10,000 rand for rental and 5,000 for services. So you've got a 15,000 total. You do the letter to the tenant saying, or the ex-tenant in this case saying, you owe me 15,000 rand, you have seven days to pay, failing to pay, and we'll see you in court. And if there's no money in your bank account within seven days, you issue your summons. And from there, it's a normal court process, summons, judgment, warrants, attach goods, sell them on auction. 
if you can't get all your money back through the auction, <coughs> excuse me, then you can do a garnishy order. Go after the tenant's salary. You know, go after, if he's got a car that's paid off, attach that, sell it. There are various ways that you can execute once you have your judgment. The important part is getting the judgment, and that's what you're going to do through your summons. And your attorney sh should be assisting you with that. And what, t wandering <coughs> off with the keys, I mean, that could lead to all sorts of other things. Here's me just being a little bit cynical here. I mean, they could wait for them to get somebody else. Uh, he would, I would be best advised to change <coughs> the locks, I would imagine. Yes, in every circumstance. And then circumstance. He, can, he can get the money back from them for having to do that, I'm yes, assuming. Yes you, can, yes, you can. Because that would count as another damage that you have to rectify. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. <coughs> you would have to rectify that damage as well because... <coughs> oh, dare we say. Some water. <laughs> yes, please. Right, well, Kelvin, shame. Kelvin's having a bit of a bad time <coughs> here, but there are things you can do, Kelvin, as I hope you are listening to. Yeah. Okay, Kelvin, as I was saying, so any damage that property has suffered, whether it be changing of the locks, whether it be floorboards that have been damaged, any physical damage to the property can also be recovered from your tenant. So... <coughs> In the normal circumstances, whether you're evicting a tenant or whether the tenant's leaving, I always recommend to a client change the locks because you never know. They could have made had copies made of the keys copies or anything. Copies could be made. Anything could have happened. So especially in your circumstances, change the locks and make sure your new tenant has the key and obviously you have a key. And charge that to the old tenant. So just make a list of all those things that basically you are being owed here by the tenant. But it sounds like you could have quite a list. And uh, when you say, you know go after them for the money, just make sure you add all that in. Add it all in. Your uh, Look, an attorney should be able to assist you with what you can and what you cannot claim. It's, I always recommend rather give all the information to the attorney. Every single damage that you have suffered or you think that you have suffered, the attorney can then say, yes, you can claim or no, you cannot claim. But don't leave anything off. You might think you can't claim it, and then you can. You know, rather try to get a bigger figure out of the tenant because they're the one that's caused you damage. And Kelvin, as well, if you're not happy with the attorney, you're not under any obligation to stay with him. We can't advise you what to do as far as that's concerned, but possibly just um, approach another attorney. Make yeah. you, you know. Look, uh, from the limited information I have before me, is that you've gone to see an attorney, he hasn't come back to you in two weeks, and you're not getting any information out of him. Now... From the question that you've raised, it doesn't seem that you've been given the the route to recover, mm. right? So the, tenant, the, the attorney hasn't explained to you what you need to be doing. In that case, I don't believe that there is a mandate with this attorney to actually do any work. And on that, you can simply give that mandate to another attorney. Right, so there, there is somewhere to go, Kelvin. And uh, maybe if once you've resolved this, it would be really nice to hear from you that uh, it's all worked out. So drop us a line if you manage to get this all sorted out. I hope, I'm hope i almost sure you will. Right, we've got another email here from uh, Puvendra Naidu who says, I purchased a property <coughs> off plan and was given occupation <coughs> slash possession on the 1st of December 2013. I was promised occupation a month earlier. The entire handover process was rushed and the unit was not in suitable condition for occupation. I compiled a list of 53 snags, which handed, to, which I handed then to the, to the developer. When I examined the unit again in January 2014, I discovered that nothing had been done. I sent through another list. During this time, the unit was transferred and mortgage bond payments were debited to my bank account. The developer only worked on the unit at the end of February 2014 when I advised them I would be moving in. This is not two months after he originally was supposed to have, well, actually, no, three months because he got it late, a month later anyway to start with. 
Um, he says, however, certain snags were still not satisfactorily rectified. I submitted an updated snag list on occupation, and to date the snags have still not been sorted out. My question is, am I liable for occupational rent for January 2014 and February 2014, and sectional title levies from December 2013 and January 2014 and February 2014, given that I was not occupying the unit and it was no fault of mine? These costs have been deducted from the interest on my initial deposit. I had not signed any happy letter. However, I did sign a document finalizing the bond and for receipt of the keys to the unit in December last year to snag the unit. Is there any legal action that I can institute against the developer for his inaction slash delays slash non-cooperation resulting in losses on my account? There is a clause in the sale agreement that states the purchaser shall have no claims against the developer should the developer for failure to deliver on the agreed date. Does this clause free the developer from any liability? This isn't fair at all. Okay. Uh, well, quite. yes. I, 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 no, it just sounds like a nightmare of note. Yeah, this. Uh, unfortunately, we do see quite a few cases such as these. Right. Previously, it was extremely difficult to take these developers to court, because, simply because they would put these clauses in saying that there are no claims. But is that, that legal, you, though, to put that in? No. Oh, so that clause can actually simply be put disregarded. That, you can put that. You can set that clause aside. But before we do that, let's let's first look at the the actual scenario that's that's going on, right? So, <clears throat> first you, of all, it started off the month late getting yeah, occupation. Yeah, so you should have you took you you took possession on the first of December, which was a month late, right? You gave them a list of snags. They had until January to do it. They did absolutely nothing. They only worked on the unit in February 2014 and still hadn't done anything still hadn't uh, still hadn't sorted out all the snags Uh, one of the questions that you raise here is whether or not you are liable for the levies now transfer according to and also occupational interest he's saying uh, let's 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 take it from, from the levies right so according to your question you pay you want to know if you're Liable for occupational rental for January and February and sectional title levies from December. Now, you can only be liable for levies from the time that transfer takes place. Right Now, remember that when the sectional title development is done, all the units are in the name of the developer. Right, That's not strictly registered as sectional title until there are at least two owners. Now, somebody else buys a unit, now we have two owners, then it can be registered sectional title. However, you as a new owner, again, cannot be held liable for levies until transfer of that unit has taken place into your name. Now, according to your question, you had to pay levies for December and January. But I don't see that He does transfer. talk about the mortgage because they're starting to take the... He's got the mortgage. They must have then, I'm assuming, transfer must have, take, must have gone through. Yeah, but according to the information that we have, it appears that transfer only went through in January. Okay, the unit was right. transferred and mortgage bond payments were debited to my bank account. Yeah. Yes, so December levies, I would say, no, you're not liable for that because it, the unit was not in your name. Right. Now we move on to occupational rental. Now, occupational rental can only be paid if you are in occupation whilst the property is owned by another. So if you were in occupation for, let's call it December and January, and transfer went through in February, then 
you could be liable for that occupational rental. However, you had given them the snag list. I'm going to say that you never physically took occupation of this premises simply because of these snags, which means you were not in occupation and therefore I don't see you being liable for the occupational rental. Now, I do believe there is more to the story than what you've actually set out in here. Now, as I said, you have gone on for some time trying to give as much detail as possible, but I do believe there is more detail to be found here. But on the information that I have, I would say you're not liable for the occupational rental simply because you were not in occupation and you're not liable for the levies for the time that the premises was not transferred in your name. Your last question has to do with that little clause of the, the developer. clause mm. of, the, of the developer. What can be done? Is it, can you take the developers to court? Yes, you can. In fact, I would go so far as to say, instead of approaching the court, what you should be doing, you should be approaching the consumer tribunal. Because this is a clear case of a consumer contract that has gone against the consumer. Right Now, the consumer tribunal comes in anywhere that the CPA has precedent. Now, in a normal property transaction, that's where you have a willing buyer and a willing seller of a freestanding house somewhere, generally the Consumer Act does not come into effect, simply because your seller is not bound by the CPA. The reason they're not bound by the CPA is because their sale is not in the ordinary course of business. Your average homeowner is only selling every 10, maybe 15 years, 7 years at just call it the minimum. That's not ordinary course. However, when you have a developer, this is someone whose ordinary course is to get a plot of land, put up a development, register sectional site title, sell that off, find another plot of land, do the same thing again. It's clearly ordinary course of business. In that sense, you should have been given occupation. You were not. The developer has failed to meet their obligations. There was a snag list they never saw it through. They have again failed to meet their obligations. They started deducting money from you which should not have been deducted. They have failed to meet their obligations. In this sense, you as the consumer have suffered and therefore you may approach the consumer tribunal for them to adjudicate on this case and give you the relief that you are seeking. That would be my advice to you. Approach the consumer tribunal with this. So he definitely has a case. He definitely and has sounds a case. like quite a strong case. He's got a from from the information we have, he seems to have a very strong case. And he can take these guys to book. Is there any time limit on <clears> this <throat> if you want to take it somewhere? You know, there's always these things with time limits there on. There are things. time limits sooner rather than later. Let's leave it at okay, that. Because this was February now. And yeah. we're already in almost in he, June. He's still within time. Okay. You, you are still within time. However, I would not leave it lying around for the next year or so. I would get to them sooner rather than later. Okay, so sort of like tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely sooner. Right, well, just a reminder, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Ishmael Mohammed. <clears throat> He's an associate with Marlon Chevalier and Associates here in Cape Town. And this evening, we're discussing property law. If you have any questions or comments about property law, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. Pat Inishawi, good evening. Uh, good evening, Karen. Hello, how are you? 
I'm well, thank you. Good. How can uh, we help you? Ismail as well. Hi, Beth. Uh, Karun, my question relates to uh, one of refuse charges. Um, I have a residential property uh, on which there is a main building as well as an outbuilding. Now, in January of 2013, last year, uh, okay, I was paying uh, an amount of 127 rand uh, for refuse charges on this property. Uh, in January last year, I was summoned to the municipal offices and the official in the uh, finance department uh, gave me a letter. And uh, I, on reading that, I found that the refuse charges would now, uh, from 127 rand, would be increased up to 1,250 odd rand. So I inquired why, well, you know, the, the charges were, uh, would be increased and then the gentleman said, look, uh, you've got tenants in your art building, uh, you've got five, uh, five people living there, and you've got five people living in your main building, that equals to ten. Uh, so therefore, each one would be liable for a refuse charge. So it's 127 rand times ten. So uh, what I did was I read some of the bylaws when it relates to, where it relates to refuse charges, and I found that uh, refuge charges would be levied according to the number of dwellings on the property. Like in my case now, I have a main building and an uh, outbuilding. So uh, I understood that I would be paying actually two refuse charges, one for the main building, one for the outbuilding. So the gentleman actually said no, because you've got 10 people altogether living on the property. Each one would be liable for a refuse charge. Is that the correct basis on which to calculate your charges for refuse? I've never heard of that. Pat, to be honest, this is the first time that I'm hearing of this as well, that the refuse charge is being charged per person. My understanding has always been, as you correctly pointed out, that it's charged per dwelling. Yes. Right, mm. which would then make it 127 rand or 137 rand times two, because as you say, you have two dwellings on the property. Yes. The fact that they want to charge it per person, that seems more than a bit unreasonable to me. Yes. You uh, know, have they have they tried to direct you towards which bylaw allows them to do this? Well, what we did was uh, we asked for uh, a resolution. Perhaps there was a meeting, a, a mm. council meeting, where there was some sort of resolution that, uh, you know, uh, 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 informed this kind of decision, and they couldn't come up with any. All they did was go to some... Uh, 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 they actually gave me a photocopy of uh, of, 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 of some uh, 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 well, some municipal document where it states that it's a general document that you know that speaks about charges. Uh, people that use municipal services will be levied a charge. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, I mean, if you use water, you'll be liable for a charge or electricity and yes. refuse and so on. Yes, but well, I asked the gentleman specifically. I said, listen, this pertains to refuse. Where does it state on this document that if you have 10 people staying here or five people, then you'd be liable for five, you know, each one would be uh, pay a refuse charge. And he couldn't give me that, you know, uh, a specific uh, information. Yeah, I so, doubt that he would be able to give that information. As I say, this is the first that I'm hearing of this. But what I, what I suggest you do, is it possible for you to maybe email me? You know, on my on. You can uh, email me actually, or you can, you can e email directly to yeah. Ishmael, or you can or email me, whichever is easier. Yeah, Pat. E email to Karen. She can forward it on to me. Yes. You know, this will allow me to maybe look into it for you. 
because like I said, I've I've not heard of a of the midriff briefish charge ever being per person. Because I mean, imagine families with three or four children, each one getting charged okay. a refuse charge. I mean, there would be a huge outcry. Exactly. Okay. You it's know. Not, yes. Let's say in your outbuilding, right? Mm. Uh, now you've got okay, you've got three rooms, mm-hmm. uh, and you have three different individuals occupying uh, each one occupying a room, right? Yes. Uh, now they obviously. Uh, 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 because it's one person, that he doesn't need the entire uh, three rooms, he wants just one room, right? Yes. Somebody else comes along and he, he, he just requires <coughs> one room. So uh, the three of them share the rent for that outbuilding. Yes. In such a case, would they have, uh, uh, would, I mean, uh, uh, would such a case present them to do that? Uh, where, because I have three different individuals staying. No, it's it's. It still doesn't make. Uh, my, no, it still no, doesn't it's work. It's per dwelling yes. and per wheelie bin, basically. I thought you paid depending on how many wheelie bins you had. Yeah, you know, yes. the fact that you have three people in in the unit itself doesn't change the amount that the refuge should be. Absolutely. Simply because uh, whether you have one, whether you have three, they're still collecting the refuse at the same time and they're still collecting at the same frequency. Do you have yes. just one wheelie bin for each of your? This is it, Karen. I, I've got one. You know what comes out of the property, what is generated from the property every Tuesday, which is the refuse collection day, one bag comes out from the outbuilding, one bag comes uh, out from the main building. So you and can fit it into one that. wheelie bin, basically. Yes, absolutely. And they said, uh, the, uh, now, there's a few other uh, uh, friends of mine, uh, after I did some research and some homework, they said there's about 60 uh, uh, cases like mine that, uh, uh, you know, where they're living this kind of, uh, uh, they're using this kind of uh, way of living rates, I mean, refuse charges. Pat, can and you tell me, what municipality is this? He's in Ishawi. Amlalazi municipality in Ishawi. Mm-hmm. Pat, if, have you got access to email? Yes, I do. What do you, okay, the email address is law at safm.co.za. Yes. Ishmael, what do you want him to send you? Just send me your query. Right, and you said that he presented you with a photocopy of some municipal page. Do you still have that? Can you send that? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll put it on yeah, the bar. If you could uh, scan that and send that to me. And, and the bill. And the bill as well, yes. You know, let, right. let me have a look at it, because like I said, I've yet to find that that refuse charges are charged per person. Maybe it's just in Cape Town, we're lucky and they don't. I don't know. Maybe. If there's anyone else around the country that's having this problem, please phone in and let us know because this is complete news to me. Uh, yeah. I phoned up some of the nearby look at, uh, 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 local authorities, Stanger and even uh, up at, uh, I think it was Mandini. Uh, they don't have that, uh, you know, they're not doing it like the way Xavi is doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's extremely strange. I've, I've, first it, time it, I've heard of this. It would appear to me to be a revenue-generating exercise uh, because one of the officials, uh, uh, I wouldn't like to, to name him, did mention this. When I said to him, you know, uh, because he didn't agree with this, uh, this way, the, the, you know, uh, uh, I mean, with the way they've been using and now. And he, he disagreed and he said, now, if I reduce it, they, want, they would want to know why the drop in revenue, you know. Uh, if, if I change yours, so, uh, and the other part is, uh, it, it's not a uniform thing. It, they just go to, you know, I mean, I would, to me, it would appear, uh, what would be correct is, do your own exercise. If, you, if you're learning such a thing, do your homework first. Go to every property, every, inspect every property, and then you have a date, a future date, 
where you would uh, apply this uh, this new levy now or, yeah, or this look, new tariff. On, on that, obviously for for municipal charges and you know any any sort of any sort of law that's going to be of general application, there has to be a process that's followed. Yes. Now, it I unfortunately don't have any information on whether or not this process has been followed. But if you do send the email through, I can look into it for you. I'm I'll happy do to do I'll so. Do okay, Pat, so you've got the email address. It's law at safm.co.za. And I'll forward it on to Ishmael and he'll be in touch with you. I appreciate you uh, taking my call. Only a pleasure, Pat. No, no I'm absolutely astounded by this, and I, I'm also dying to know the outcome of it because I, yes. I've never no, heard of it before. Yes, no, I, I, I know there's definitely there's uh, a few other individuals affected here in, in okay, my well, area. Hopefully, we can look into it for you. Yes, thank you so Great, much, Pat. Thanks for getting yes, through. Thank you, Pat. Have good a good night evening. to you. Bye bye. Because that that is actually quite. I've never heard of that. I mean, First can you I've imagine? How, I mean, we'd all be up hysterical here. I mean, I don't want to get charged per person. I have three kids and a wife. Well, if that's what <laughs> you'd be. It'd be quite expensive for you to put out the rubbish. Unfortunately. Right. Abdul in Durban. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, Abdul. Welcome back. We haven't heard from you for a while. How are you doing? <laughs> are you yeah, well? I have a problem with my body computer. Yes. What can we okay, help you with? Uh, I have eight disorders out of 12 here. Okay. And I, I contact an um, attorney, send them a letter to pay or get attached to, or, or even attach something from their home. So I haven't paid. They none of them are paid. They called up a meeting. They got hold of a managing agent on their own, and now they have um, elected a new chairperson. One of the guys who live here, his son doesn't live here. They they have uh, elected him as chairperson, and uh, now they divided for all all the party papers from me. Is that legal? Right, so basically, we, Abdul has been phoning us now for a good couple of years. He's been having quite a tough time as chairman of a body corporate in mm-hmm. Durban. And um, he's, how he still remains sane, I don't know. But now I think it's got down to the point of there's 12 flats in this block. Eight of them are refusing to pay any levies or anything else. Mm-hmm. And when he's, he, I think, tried to attach goods to get the money, they've now gone off and got another managing agent of their own, the, the eight that are now causing all the drama. And now they've, they've appointed somebody else as chairman of the body corporate and now we're demanding all the papers and everything from him. And he's the ex- you know, body, the chairman of the body corporate in existence at the moment and they're trying to basically kick him out and demand all the paperwork. Okay, Abdul, my first question is, how did they call a meeting and how did they appoint the managing agent? That should have been done through a vote. Yeah, they say they have... Um, <clears throat> Mm, collectively had a meeting because they sent me uh, an invitation. I refused to go to it. It's an illegal meeting that they want to have because they are all uh, defaulted. They're not paying. Um, yes, and so that's, that's, they cannot call <coughs> me to an, any meeting. Yeah, they yeah, defaulted. That's, yeah. That's, that's the point that we've, that we've got to look at now. No you one know, can call me to a meeting. Yeah. I don't want to go. No, so that, no go. you don't, don't concern yourself too much about whether or not you went to the meeting. Yes. What we need to concern ourselves is whether or not the, the meeting itself was legal. Yes, they, right. they, they should have had a meeting, but um, I'm, I'm asking from you as a law man, is it legal for them to call up a meeting because I send them um, summons to pay up their levies? So now they don't want to pay the levies. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so what you're saying is you've got 12 units, eight of which are not paying. Yes, sir. Right? So these eight don't pay. You have summonses issued against them, judgments taken, and warrants done for attachment of goods. And when this is done, these people call a meeting and they try to replace you and get their own managing agent on board. Yeah. Now, as I said 
previously, in order for a new managing agent to be appointed, in order for a chairman to be changed, there needs to be a vote. Yes. If these guys are not paying their levies, they're not entitled to vote. Yes. So their meeting was not legal. Yes. Their vote was not legal. Yes. You are still the, 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 the chair of the body corporate. Whoever yes. you had appointed as managing agent is still the managing agent. Their managing agent has no, no, no power. We, we didn't have a managing uh, well, agent. Well, in that case, then there is no managing agent. They don't yes. have the authority to appoint a managing agent and try to replace you now. Can I sue this managing agent who demands me to give him uh, the body I don't see what you would be suing them for. For demanding and harassing me to give him the body copy. Harassing him for all the paperwork and everything else now. Look, you you can they ask you you can bring an interdict against them to to stop them from doing or to from trying to do what they are doing, but not not essentially sue them because there isn't a damages claim in the amount of money that you're going to try to claim back from them. Like Kevin just said, I've been busy for a long time. I just have a bit of patience. I know we are taught to have a lot of patience. You've got way more patience than me, Abdul. I'm telling you, I don't know how you've survived. Or I remember the story from the beginning, and there's been problems with these tenants for years now. Yeah, they were very well. Okay, so now basically, as as Ishmael says, you can't actually sue them, but you can take out an interdict against them to stop them. You can take an interdict against them. From forcing it. Not only that, what what you may try and do is, you may try and appoint a managing agent. You know, if you say that that it's driving you insane. My right. money is too scarce. That's right. They can't afford one can't because, afford because there's no levies coming in. You see, that's yes, the problem. Sir. Of course, that is a problem. Look, the the fact of the matter is, the judgments re- remain in place, whether there's a managing agent or not, right? Irrespective of who the who the chair of the body corporate is, the judgments remain in place. So judgments and it, can and should be executed upon. We're trying to stop people from going on with this case, you know, the one that attachment and that uh, they're trying they to stop. Therefore, they say they had their own. Um, and 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 the, the, the chairman they have uh, elected now doesn't live here. Okay. okay, these guys are. It sounds to me like they are clutching at straws. As I said, the bottom yeah. line is you are still the ma- you are still the chair of the body corporate. Thank you. Sir. The managing agent was not appointed properly. Thank you. Sir. If these people are not paying the levies, they do. They're not entitled to vote here. Thank you very much. Right, Pardon, so thank you. Hang on, wait, Abdul. Just, just hang on a second. Um, me too. Just one other thing um, as well. You you mentioned as well about the um, all the paperwork and that. What what can he do? That's an interdict. He needs to go that's to the police there. Or what must he do? No, you a lawyer. We will need to get an attorney. Right? But now yeah. they're sitting with a money issue. You're sitting with a money issue. That is unfortunate. Um, legal aid. I doubt legal aid will take on a case such as this. You may try and appoint legal aid, though I'm not sure that they'll take it on simply because it is a body corporate, it's not a private individual. What you may also do, if you're going to act in your personal capacity, yeah. you can approach the you can approach your court for a protection order through yeah. you know the the protection orders for harassment. Right, you can yeah. try to obtain one of those, but those will be for you in your private capacity, not in yes. your capacity as a chairman. Yes, sir. So shall I take your letter and show them at the court? Yes, the harassment letter. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And then, uh, Abdul, one last thing. You said that had you have you already got it in place now for the attachment order. Has that already been done? What What is happening with that? Yes, um, the marshal of the court, what they call him. The sheriff, the sheriff of the court. Yes, he has pointed out a few things, and when I was asking me, should he go on? I said, yes, he should go on. Okay, so that is all underway. They can't stop that now? No. no. The only way for them to stop, they would either have to bring an application to stay the warrant, or they have to bring a rescission application against the judgment. 
Now, I wouldn't be too concerned about those applications unless there's actual merit to that. If they can prove that you took the judgments illegally, you know, that they did not owe the money at the time, then they will be successful. If they cannot yeah. prove that, the judgment yeah. will yeah, stand the, the and the sheriff the will be able to continue. A couple of years now, like yeah. I said, I was only pointing before. It's been for years. It's not just yeah. like two months, yeah. you know. Well, that's fine. As long as the money is not owed, paid, as long mm. as it's not paid, then they will not be successful in their application and the sheriff of the court should be instructed to proceed. You and know, if these guys... Yeah, these guys are essentially trying to fight you with fires fight fire with fire yeah, you, I'm, I'm told, yeah, you, you have the higher ground here. yeah you've got right the every, you've got the the law on your side basically because what they're doing is not right and basically what they've done up to now with this meeting and the appointment of the body of, of the the managing agent none of that is legal mm. yes so they've got no leg to stand on there at all oh thank you very much my lady only a pleasure Abdul. good night and my brother there I hope, Abdul, next time you phone us, I hope you're going to phone us with a happy story because every time you phone us, I feel so sad about what's going on up there and what you're having to put up with and I don't know how you have the patience to cope with it. But the next time, I want I want you to phone me with a happy story next time. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Okay, have a good Thank evening, Abdul. Okay, bye, Abdul. bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, right, Putty in Kempton Park, good evening. Hi, good evening, Karen. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? I'm all right. You have a question? Yes. I wanted to find out, uh, is it a law that uh, an estate agent uh, must uh, hold the deposit in an interest-bearing account? And uh, also looking at the deposit, because we uh, usually pay the rent deposit, and then we also have the uh, what they call the maintenance deposit. Uh, is it a law that both of them should be in an interest-bearing account or only the rent deposit uh, should be the, in the interest-bearing account? And if the agent claims that he does not uh, hold the deposit in the uh, interest-bearing account, then, then what? Uh, what can I do? Okay. When we're speaking about the deposit, now you mentioned a rental deposit and you yeah. mentioned a maintenance deposit. Yeah. Now, when we come down to rentals and deposits, we have to look at what the Rental Housing Act says. The Rental Housing okay. Act does not make a distinction between your rental deposit and your maintenance deposit. It simply refers okay. to the deposit. The deposit. Okay. okay so... Whether you're paying 5000 on the one hand and 5000 on the other hand, the Act's going to see 10000 Rand deposit. Okay. Right? And the Act is very clear. The deposit must be kept in an interest-bearing account. Right? From okay. the moment that it's paid, it must be paid into an interest-bearing account in favor of the tenant. Right? Remember okay. that money does never belongs to the landlord until such time as there has been damage or default. Right? Okay. If the tenant vacates, an outgoing inspection is done. If there's no damage, there's no money owed, all the money plus yes. interest goes back to the tenant. If there is damage, that money then needs to be allocated towards whatever that da whatever those damages are, whether it be rental or you know physical damage or whatever the case may be. The bottom line is the money must be in an interest-bearing account. Remember, the tenant okay. has the right at any time during subsistence of the lease to request a statement from the landlord 
as to what the deposit plus interest is currently sitting at. So the landlord okay. has no choice. The money must go into the in, into that interest-bearing account. So in this situation, the uh, the estate agent says we don't do that. We don't uh, hold in the interest-bearing account. Therefore, you just get uh, your money as you deposited it uh, uh, two three years back. Mm-mm. So what can I do? Okay, say again. He's already is your lease up now, Putty? Yes. Okay, the lease is up, up and the agents now told him that... I just, I, I got the money as it was... Yeah, three uh, years ago. Three years back. And the agent told him he didn't have to put it in an interest-bearing account. So tough luck, here's your money you paid in. is exactly the same as what you gave me yes, in the first place. No what can he do now? So what can I do now? It's, but now it's after the fact. It's after the fact now, but now you definitely have a claim. right? You have one of two ways to exercise this claim. The first way is through the courts. right? Okay. What you need to determine is... What would be a reasonable interest? Because the Act doesn't say how much interest needs to be accrued onto, onto your deposit. right? Yeah, so you could say, yeah. if the money was lying in a normal savings account, okay. right, what would the interest have been? I mean, if from your point of view, you'd have to look at your bank. So if, you, if you're banking with Standard Bank, you'd say, okay, if, you can always call up Standard Bank and say, if I had placed X amount of money in a savings account with you for three years, what would my interest have accrued to whatever figure they give you that is a reasonable figure for you to have expected back from the estate agent you may claim that from the agent right that's your first course of action your second course of action is to go to the rental housing tribunal with us right because they are they are a statutory body created by the rental housing act so they interpret the act and they adjudicate over matters look using the act as as the basis for their findings so they would be demanding that the that the agent or landlord have put this money into an interest-bearing account if it had not been done they will then make a determination as to how much interest would have been accrued and how much interest is owed to you but you are entitled to that money can can the, the rental housing tribunal actually pass a judgment and make the agent pay him the re- the money make, they can make that judgment and that would be a free service though at the rental housing yes. i would the, suggest that though because going yes. to court you're going to spend all your interest money plus more on going to court <laughs> that is true you can go to the rental housing tribunal it is a free service they will give you an order which is executable which okay. simply means that whatever order they pass down if they say the agent is to pay you 5,000 rand by, you know, let's call it the 5th of July. If the money is not paid by the 5th of July, that order may be converted to a warrant and the sheriff of the court will be able to attach goods to the value of 5,000 rand from the agent. Okay. All right. Okay. But, Pussy, don't leave it any longer, okay? Go as, no. as soon as yeah. possible. No. Just uh, on that, when when did you vacate the property? I vacated the property end of uh, end of April. End of April. This year? Yes. Oh, then you're doing well, all right. Look, it's only been a month. You've got more. Than, yeah, you, but don't you, leave well it. Go time. soon. Go and claim your money back. Okay. Good luck, Pussy. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Okay. okay. Bye now. Bye. Right. Carl in Durban. Good evening. Good evening. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Only a pleasure. How can we help, Carl? Um, t- t- two different cases, actually. I, I think I'll go to the second one first in case there's not enough time. Um, in about August last year, I, I met a... a car guard from uh, the Congo um, and at the time I just had a series of break-ins at my cottage and I'd moved back up into the main house with my mother so I told
told him he could stay there for 20 rand a day to provide some security as well. Um, that that arrangement went through to about December, and he, because he was short paying me and short not paying me, I told him he had to move up to another outbuilding we've got on the premises, which used to be an old car. And he's been staying there since. But now he asked me originally if he could move his girlfriend in, and I said no. Um, when he went up to the top, I said, okay, his girlfriend used to spend an occasional night with him. She had her own house. Then when he moved up to the top little flat in December of January, um, his girlfriend moved in more or less permanently with her two kids. It's, now, it's a very small place. It's just a one-bedroom place with a kitchenette and a bathroom. Um, since then, he owes me, basically, he hasn't paid rent for the last three months, which I, in fact, told him I was putting up in, in, in uh, March. Told him they could stay there from January to March at the agreed rent of 600 that he had had in the other cottage. Um, because this place doesn't have hot water, it's, it's very small. Um, and then I told him at the end of, of March I was going to put the rent up which I then had a subsequent discussion with him and put it up to 800, and since then I haven't had any money out of him whatsoever. Um, that's the situation. I, I'm just wondering now, can I give him seven days' notice? Uh, do the kids being there affected in any way? Mm. Okay, call. The first thing it's, all, it's all been verbal and word of mouth. I, I have yeah. been signing for, for, for each amount of money they've paid me. So. Yeah. Okay. At the moment, they're sort of about 3,000, 4,000. Okay. Carl, we are, are running a bit short of time here, so let, yeah. let's sure. okay. let Ishmael just answer you. Carl, this, the simple answer is no, you can't give him seven days' notice. Right? Yeah. He is a tenant. As you say, everything's been verbal. You know, yeah. you said you may move in, he moved in 20 grand a day. You then say, please move to the other cottage. He then did that, and yeah. his girlfriend moved in, kids moved in, whatever. Right? So that's that's not really important. Whether it was him plus the kids or him alone. Yes. You cannot give seven days' notice, right? Every yeah. verbal lease agreement or every but, verbal occupancy agreement uh, is It was seen, supposed to be 20 rand a day, was the point. Even if, Initially. irrespective of how you charge it, whether you charge yeah. it per day, per week, per month, if it's yeah. verbal, yeah. then the law sees that as being a month-to-month -month lease agreement. Okay. Right, which means you have to give him at least one <laughs> month's notice. If you intend to give him that notice now, I suggest you do it tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Simply because we're coming up to the end of the month. Yeah. Right. Give him written notice that he signs receipt because it becomes very important that the court see if you need to go by way of an eviction. Yeah. That the court see that you have delivered proper notice to him. Yeah. If you give him notice tomorrow, tomorrow will be the 27th of May. Yeah. That notice period expires the end of June. Yeah. If you give him notice sometime in June, yeah, the notice will only yeah. expire the end of July. Right, yeah. Right, so you've got to give him your notice before now, the end of the month, before yeah. the end of this month, for him to be out the end of next month. Yeah. Now, you obviously have a claim for the monies outstanding. Yeah. Right, but that's not going to be the determining factor as to whether or not there is a lease. Uh -huh. The determining factor here is did you give him proper notice? So yeah. if you give that notice before the end of this month, for the end of next month, yeah. and he hasn't left by the end of next month, you yeah. are good in law to then bring an eviction application against him. Okay. Right. He can say what he will. He can say his girlfriend, the kids, yeah. the dog, the goldfish, whoever is there. The court will most likely grant that order in your favor. 
Yeah. The only thing you've then got to watch out for is the time limit on the order. Yeah. Right? So the court will say he must leave. Yeah. If it was him alone, the court might have given him two to three weeks to leave. The yeah. fact that there are minor children there, the court might give him five to six weeks to leave. Yeah. But the order will be granted in your favour. Okay. Okay, Carl. Uh, and can I do, uh, oh, do I have Carl, to do we, that through an attorney? Sorry. Oh, does he have to do that through an attorney? Yes, you will have to do that because it has to go through the court. So you will need an attorney to assist you with that. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, Carl, okay. thanks very much. Good night Thank to you. you very right, much. Jeanette in Johannesburg, good evening. Um, good evening. Uh, I'm phoning about, um, I've got a cottage on my house. It's a bachelor flat. And um, I signed a lease agreement on, on Saturday, the 24th of May. And there's a clause stating that the deposit should be paid on signing the agreement. And the deposit still hasn't been paid. I want to know, um, can I cancel the agreement or do I have to give um, a, a month's notice? It's a month to month lease. And um, am I allowed to refuse to give them the keys until they've paid the deposit? And I said she could move in on Saturday because um, the first is on Sunday. But can I um, refuse to do that until the deposit is paid? Okay, this is a bit of a tough question to answer, simply because there is still a lot of, well, I guess the word's not miscommunication, there's a lot of intrigue, for using a big word, concerning the status of the deposit, right? Because the de by not having paid the deposit, your tenant has breached the lease agreement yes. right now i haven't seen the wording of your lease so i can't say whether your deposit or your payment of the deposit is a suspensive condition i've i've got it here the lease shall um the lease shall further pay a deposit to the lease or on signing this agreement of one month's rental okay that does not sound like a suspensive condition to me it's a suspensive condition would be more along the lines of this lease agreement will come into effect upon signature and payment of the deposit. Your lease simply says that the tenant is to pay the deposit. Right? By not paying the deposit, they have breached the lease, but it's not a suspensive condition, which means you cannot simply cancel the lease because of that. Right? You will have to give notice. You will have to demand the deposit or rectification of that breach from the tenant. So do I do the demand by registered letter? Preferably, yes. Okay. Right, you can send an email, attach the letter to that so they can get it immediately. And then you send it by registered post as well in case it needs to go further through the courts or through the tribunal or anything like that. You then have proof that it has definitely been sent and that they have received that letter. That so will I allow you to, to take it further. Keys. Unfortunately, from, like I said, I haven't seen the full lease, but from the clause that you have read out to me, that the payment of the deposit is not a suspensive condition, and therefore you will have to give them occupation. Okay. Mm, sorry about that, Jeanette. Thank you. Okay, but maybe it'll teach us all to get the wording right. Yeah. Get the wording right, but also I didn't want to bring it up, but the question, why did you allow the tenant to sign the lease before they paid the deposit? Well, you know, everything's done by EFT. Mm. So 
so I thought, well, she'll go home and do the EFT. And by this evening, that I haven't got notice of the, the transfer going through, I started getting worried, and I did send her an email mm. um, saying that um, I haven't received the for the money for um, the deposit, which was due on signing the contract. What did she say? I haven't got a reply. Okay, I don't want to be the sort of bearer of sort of doom and gloom here, but one worries if they're not paying the deposit, is she actually going to be paying the rent? That's exactly my worry. Yeah, I would do the cancellation oh. now, or You've at least do the demand for the deposit. If she can pay up that and obviously pay the rental, then you can keep her as a tenant. If she doesn't meet the the demand for paying up the deposit, cancel the lease and Luckily, it's a month-by-month lease. Is it, you mean I must give notice? Give a notice, yes. Yeah. Okay. And in future, be very careful. Of the wording. And of oh. getting your deposit before you yes, that as before well. you sign anything. That as well. Jeanette, if you're ever unsure about how to word that thing, just drop me an email. Okay. Law at safm.co.za and I'll get one of my very well-esteemed lawyers to have a look at it and tell you exactly what you should be saying. Okay. Okay, well, good luck with that, Jeanette. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Right, David in Lichtenberg, good evening. Thank good evening, thanks. A few months ago, <clears throat> Mr. Mohammed said one can do a Section 32 application to try and correct the <clears throat> rental, sorry, about this post-nasal trip. Okay. Now, how does one go about doing a Section 32 application? Okay, a Section 32 application is an application which is used to perfect the landlord's hypothec. Now, what that means is when a tenant takes occupation, the landlord is entitled to hold all movable goods brought onto the premises as security for rental outstanding. Yeah. So your tenant moves in, he fails to pay you one or two months rental or rental on time. You then send him a letter, a letter of demand, seven days, right? That's the first, basically, let's call it the first hurdle. Has the money been owed for longer than seven days, right? The second way is whether or not the tenant is trying to abscond. So if you think he's going to try to run away and you need to hold on to those goods, you can then bring the Section 32 application. It's done through the court. The court will then ask, one, is he trying to run away? Or two, is he aware that he's been in default for longer than seven days? If the answer to either or both of those questions is yes, then the court will grant the Section 32 application. That will be done in chambers. Your tenant will not know when this is happening. It's granted. It goes to the sheriff. The sheriff will go out. And he will attach and remove all movable goods and take them into storage. Must then attorney do it? Or? An attorney will have to assist you with this because at the same time the Section 32 application is done, we always recommend that its summons is issued as well. Because remember, you can hold on to his goods by way of a, 30, of a Section 32, but you cannot sell his goods. You can yes. only sell his goods under judgment. So your 32 is done alongside your summons. Everything is held under the 32, judgment is granted under the summons, and then those things are sold for you to recover your money. 
If you don't do the summons, you're simply holding on to those things, running up a huge sheriff's bill for storage. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. That helped you, David. Goodbye. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye thank now. David. I think that's a very important point, though, is, is you can hold on to them, but if you sell them, you're going to end up finding yourself in court. Exactly. So don't do that. Yeah, now remember, the, the, the perfection of the hypothetic is only done through the sheriff. The landlord can't walk in there and just decide, my hypothetic, and I'm taking all of these things out. It's got to be done through the sheriff. And the sheriff is going to hold it in his storeroom. It's going to cost you 50 or 100 rand a day, depending on how so many you, things as are. A, you, as the landlord, would end up having to pay the you, storage. You are mm. entitled to pay the, those fees. Those fees can then, you know, be taken off the auction, mm. you know, because it is legal fees incurred. But the longer you take to get your judgment, so if you decide, well, I'll do the section 32, I'll not do the summons for two or three months, it's a day fee of 50 rand a day for three months before you start. Up. That includes weekends and public high. holidays, you know. <laughs> it could be like a lot of days. So it's, it's what I think we talk about it on almost every show. It's always a thing about time. It's always Don't a thing about time. Don't leave things. Never. As I always tell my clients, especially with the CPA now, if your tenant misses his rental by one day, send your letter of demand. You still have the full month to settle. <coughs> Sorry. But get your process going. Yeah, it's a time don't, thing. Don't wait. Yeah, you know, you also have this thing where, you know, you run out of time and then it becomes this whole thing in the court and then they, your case, they won't hear your case because it's too late. And, you know, don't wait. Don't wait. And further to that, remember, legal process takes time. Mm. <clears throat> whether so, you're trying to claim money, whether you're trying to get your tenant out. The longer you wait, the more time you lose. And the more money you lose the more in the money long run anyway. A simple eviction takes a minimum of three months. So if you started on month are one... Are any evictions ever simple, though? Some of mm. them are. Sometimes tenants know they're in the wrong and they're just trying Not to often. buy time. Not often. Not often, <laughs> but some, sometimes they are. Like I said, a simple one, three months. Okay. If you wait six months before you start, you lose my nine months. Yeah. Next thing it's a year and then it's two and there then it's go. something else. Right. So as we always tell you, if something happens, don't leave it. Go and sort it out as soon as you possibly can. Immediately. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Ishmael Mohammed. <coughs> he's an associate with Marlon Chevalier and Associates <coughs> here in Cape Town. And he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Ishmael, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me, Karen. And I uh, hope you're going to feel better soon. Uh, something in my throat. <laughs> she's not having a good week. Shame. Well, the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Bagram. And we'll be focusing specifically on the new labor laws. It's going to be a rather interesting show. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 2nd of June. Now, Michael is going to be in Italy next week, so unfortunately we won't be taking any calls, but Michael and I have pre-recorded a very good show for you, and you'll, we've been telling you about these new labor laws for quite a while now, and uh, Michael will be unpacking them. They're not there yet, but they're almost there, and he's basically going to be telling you what we can expect. Well, I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters, so join me for that. And before we go, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM, and if you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address so I can send them to you, or you could email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you the list, and then you can choose which you like, and I'll send those to you.